Praise the Lord. We want to uh, finish up the series that we've been teaching on how to be led by the Holy Ghost this evening. And uh, we've been using uh, for the entirety of the series three text scriptures, uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, and then two scriptures over in Romans chapter 8. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Another translation says, I particularly like this one, it says, The spirit of man is the guiding lamp of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Every child of God, every person that's been born again has a right, I believe a responsibility, to be led by the Holy Ghost. Well, then that begs the question, how is he going to lead us? Verse 16 of Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Now, we've studied a little bit uh, in, during this series and found that man is three parts. He is the spirit. He's made in the image and likeness of God, and God is the spirit. So he is the spirit by definition. He has a soul which is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions, and he lives in a body. Now, of those three, the Bible says that God will lead us one and only one way, and that's not through the body. It's not through physical things or the circumstances of life around us. It's not through our mind or our reasoning capabilities, but it's through our spirits. The spirit of man is the candle of the guiding lamp of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, there's a lot of things that, uh, that we can talk about and, and uh, would be helpful to talk about regarding being led by the spirit. We've looked at a lot of uh, examples in the book of Acts, how Paul particularly, as well as others, were led by the spirit. We've seen some supernatural or spectacular instances where uh, angels appeared or visions were given to certain people to show them which way to go and what to do. But we found that the number one way that people are led by the Holy Ghost is by that inward witness. Now, your spirit has a voice. We talked about this. We talked about the inward voice. It's called conscience. God's intent is for your spirit, specifically the voice of your spirit, to communicate with your mind. So that the, the desires of the body, the works of the body, or the flesh, are overcome by the spirit of man. The key to life, the key to a successful life, the key to a godly life, is to be spirit-led or to let your spirit dominate your flesh. Paul said it this way. He said, I keep my body under. Lest after having preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, notice the way he said that. He said, I, talking about the real man on the inside, the spirit, he said, I do something about my body. His body is a possession. It's not the real him. I keep under my body or keep my body under. Now, what's he, what he means by that is I keep my body under the control of my spirit, the real me. Paul said some interesting things about his conscience. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 1, when he was standing before the Jews in Jerusalem, he said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, the Jews, the high priest particularly, was such, uh, well, all the men that were standing there were unsaved. They had rejected Jesus. And as a result, that was a, a, an incredulous statement to them. The high priest commanded Paul to be smitten or struck across the face. Paul didn't realize that he was a high priest, and so he kind of reared back at him a little bit and got upset with him for commanding him to be smitten or struck in the face against the law, contrary to what the law commands. 
But if you think about what was going on there, to the unsaved man, the unsaved individual, it's an impossible task to live according to your conscience and be right toward God. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, Paul goes a little bit further, making his defense before the Romans. He said, herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience, the inward voice, the voice of your spirit, void of offense toward God and man. Paul put a great deal of value on the voice of his spirit, the communication of his spirit to his mind for the purpose of dominating the body. Now turn with me over to Galatians chapter 5. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And I think, we, uh, I think we can understand it when we look at our kids. When our children are young, they're only interested in what suits them, what they want, what feels good to them, and what they enjoy. Well, I think a lot of people's spiritual growth is like that. I think a lot of people will take the truth of the word that says we can be led by the Holy Ghost and he'll lead us into victory and so forth. And we think about the spirit of God leading us into what we want and what we enjoy and what makes us feel good. Well, as parents, we want our kids to feel good. We want our kids to have everything that they enjoy and need in life. We want them to have everything that that's a fun experience and, and so forth. But that's not the most important thing to us, is it? We'll move heaven and earth to provide for them. And so from our perspective as parents, there's no need whatsoever for our children to be concerned about whether or not they're ever going to have enough. That's our, one of our number one goals, to provide for our kids. Well, as our kids get a little bit older, if all that they have been experienced from their parents is provision and us doing things that they enjoy and giving them what they want, then they're not going to be in the right kind of position to be a success in life. We all want our kids to accomplish great things. We'll do what we can to facilitate that. But that's not the most important thing for us either. Because even after our kids get what they enjoy in life and experience all the things that life has to offer, have a wonderful childhood and so forth and even do great things if they don't have the kind of character the right character to hold them steady then all the rest of it's going to be for nothing the bible says in romans chapter 8 and verse 29 it said god predestined us to be conformed to the image of his dear son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren now stop and think about what that means The Bible says that God's plan of redemption was for man, provision for man before the foundation of the world. Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. And so God had a plan for man to be conformed to the image of Jesus through the new birth. Well, then what does it mean when it says that he wants us or wanted for us and planned for us to be conformed to his image? That word image has to mean nature. Because that's what changes when we're born again. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature, a new creation. One translation says a new species of being. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, You must be born again. He's talking about a new nature. 
He's talking about the recreated human spirit, a new nature being formed in man. But what is that new nature supposed to be? Well, it's the same nature that Jesus had, the same life of God that Jesus had. The Old Testament says it this way in Ezekiel 36. God said, I'll take away the stony heart. The unsaved spirit, in other words, out of man and give him a heart of flesh, a heart that's tender toward God. A new spirit will I put within him and then I'll put my spirit inside him. So we could say that the life of God is the spirit of God himself. Now in Galatians chapter 5, did you find that yet? Galatians chapter 5, Paul's talking about the difference or the contrast between the desires of the body, the desires of the unsaved man, versus the spirit that God intends, the spiritual characteristics that God intends for us to develop after we're born again. Verse 22, he said, but the fruit of the spirit... Now, this, is, this word spirit is capitalized. The translators apparently thought it's talking about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't produce fruit. There's no need for the Holy Spirit to produce fruit. He's the person of God himself. He'll do works. And those works are consistent with what the Bible says that God does and God is. But this is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. In other words, this is the fruit of the Christian who has developed himself in spirit. He's grown and matured. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, literally faithfulness, meekness, that means to be teachable, temperance, that means to be moderate. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, we don't think too often about being spirit, being led by the Holy Ghost into love or led by the Holy Ghost into joy or into peace or into long-suffering or into faithfulness or into meekness or into temperance. We don't think about the Holy Ghost leading us into those things. But those are the most important areas for us to be led of the Holy Ghost into. And I believe the Scripture is telling us that since these are characteristics of the nature of God himself, that this is the nature that we've been recreated unto. This is a picture of the image of Christ that we are to be conformed to. Now, one thing's for sure, it's not a guarantee that you're going to be. It's not an automatic thing. The fact that you get born again doesn't mean that you'll develop in love or joy or peace or any of the others. But you have the potential to. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He furthermore said in John 6, 63, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they're life. Well, if you put those two verses of Scripture together then, it tells you that the way to develop in spirit or the way to develop in the life of God is through the word. That means the word of God is going to develop you in love and joy and peace and long-suffering and the rest of them. The rest of these godly characteristics. Now sometimes we'll get real spiritual in our thinking. And we'll focus our attention on doing the works of Jesus. Well Jesus said that God wanted us to. 
He said, the works that I do shall you do also. So that has to be the will of God for you and for me to do the same works that Jesus did, including healing and miracles and whatever else somebody else might need. But it would be improper according to what the Bible's telling us. Notice the Bible doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is miracles. So it would be improper for us to put that first. That would be like us having children who wanted to accomplish something in life, do great things, maybe things that could help and benefit mankind, but not develop the character and the spiritual characteristics that are necessary to be a foundation to do good. Well, I know I want my kids to do great things, but not at the expense of character. I'm glad it doesn't have to be either or. The Bible says in Proverbs that the man that rules the spirit is better than the man that takes the city. That means the man that, if we put that in New Testament context, the man that develops this love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, meekness, and temperance is better than the man that does great works, even if they're the same works that Jesus did. Now, when Jesus said about the Holy Ghost that when he was come, he would guide us into all truth or guide us into all reality. What reality do you think that is? Folks, there's no greater part of God's will for your life or for mine than to develop these spiritual characteristics. Because in the development of these spiritual characteristics, we develop in the character and the nature of God himself. Jesus said it this way, John thirteen thirty four. he said, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Why didn't he command us to do miracles? Why didn't he say, A new commandment I give unto you that you heal the sick and perform miracles? Why is love the commandment and not works? Even good works. He goes on to say that by this, the love of God that's shed abroad in your heart by the new birth and the walking in that love, the development of that love. He said, by this, talking about the love of God, shall all men know you're my disciples. Now, that's a fascinating statement to me because we keep trying to prove that we're of God and that God's with us through works. Lord, heal the sick so everybody will know you're with us. Jesus said, love's what will cause people to know that I'm with you. And that you're of me. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not putting these other things down. I'm not even putting down being led by the Holy Ghost. Into success in the affairs of life. Remember Joshua 1.8. God told Joshua. The key to success was this book of the law. Or the word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt have good success. Then thou shalt make your way prosperous and have good success. One translation says, then thou shalt deal wisely in the affairs of life. God will lead you by the word of God and through the Holy Ghost into success and how to deal wisely in the affairs of life. You can readily understand that you couldn't have good success if you didn't deal wisely in life's affairs. So God's not against that. But that's not all he wants for you. He doesn't just want you to deal wisely in the affairs of life, to be rich, to have a nice house, 
to have a good life. He wants you to develop these godly characteristics. He wants people to be able to see him in you. Well, then wouldn't it make sense that that's going to be one of the ways, maybe the number one way that the Holy Ghost is going to lead us? Sure, he's going to take care of us. He's our heavenly father. He's a better heavenly father for us than we are to our own children. And we're willing to do anything for our kids. We'll go hungry to make sure they don't. We'll provide for them. We'll see them through. But again, that's not the most important thing in their lives to us. Neither is it the most important thing in our life to our Heavenly Father. But the fruit of the Spirit, remember Jesus said in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Except the vine, except the branch abide in the vine, it cannot bear fruit. Well, what fruit is he talking about? He's talking about the fruit of the Christian life. He goes on to identify the part of the fruit that he's talking about is prayer fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, John fifteen seven says, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. In this manner, we glorify God by getting answers to our prayers. But the answers to those prayers has to be based on the word. And that word is the only thing that God has given us to fit or to develop our spirits. John 1, 4 says in him was life, talking about in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. When John talks about light in the epistle that he wrote to us, 1 John chapter 1, he says if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with him. But then he says if we hate our brother, then we're in darkness. So the life that is the light of men has to be the love of God then. Are you out there? In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Light stands for development. He's talking about spiritual development. And so that has to be if the Holy Ghost inspired John to write what he did. About he that hates his brother abides in darkness even until now. Then that means the life that is the light of men is the development in love. Now, what does the love of God look like? Well, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read these verses from the Amplified. Beginning in verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. The love of God endures long and is patient and kind. Now, a lot of people endure long because they have to. They're not patient and kind in the process. But that's not what the love of God is like. The love of God is long-suffering or endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly. And does not act unbecomingly. Love, that is God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Now notice it doesn't say that it doesn't have rights. It doesn't say God's love in us doesn't have rights. It says it doesn't insist on them. In other words, it's always willing to yield. 
Do you realize that the Holy Ghost will lead you to always be willing to yield in love? Now, not in principle. Jesus didn't yield in principle. When he drove the money changers out of the temple, he was standing up for what was right. The love of God stands up for what's right. But when it comes to relationships, it's always willing to yield. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For, because, it is not self-seeking. Now here's the measuring stick for love. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it and it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Now that's the place where most of us check out. We were on board until then. But really the Bible is telling us that the love of God always forgives. The love of God always forgives. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness. But rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. Well, I guess not. You learn to develop the kind of love that's described in these verses. You'll be victorious every time. Because no matter what the devil throws at you, it won't keep you down. You'll keep going. You'll rise to the top. Now turn with me over to First Corinthians chapter 6. We better get off this real quick. First Corinthians chapter 6 and then Second Corinthians chapter 6. I'll read a couple of verses here right together. Paul says, what, verse 19, 1 Corinthians six nineteen, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Uh, well, yeah, I better read it in context. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? I want you to notice he's calling the believers the temple of God. And unbelievers the temple of idols. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, what is that supposed to look like? We can certainly understand that the Holy Ghost would lead us into that condition. Lead us toward that end. But what's that supposed to look like? Notice what God said, God's plan. Let me read it again. God has said, I will dwell in them. That's through the new birth. That's to the change of your spiritual nature. 
That's through the love of God being shed abroad in your heart. I will dwell in them and walk in them. Do you realize that means that every characteristic of the Holy Ghost is dwelling in you and walking in you? The Holy Ghost is the comforter. The comforter is dwelling in you. The comforter walks with you. He's also called the strengthener. The strengthener dwells in you. The strengthener walks in you. He's called the intercessor. The intercessor walks in you and dwells in you. We know that the Holy Ghost is the power of God. The power of God dwells in you and walks in you. The Bible says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power to heal. Heal all that were sick who were oppressed of the devil. That means the healing power of God walks in you and dwells in you. So many of the things that we already have, according to the scripture, is what many Christians seem to be looking to get. Oh, God sends your healing power. That healing power is walking in you. It dwells in you. Lord, I just need to know what to do. The counselor abides in you. He lives in you. And he walks in you. Lord, I just need help. The helper lives in you. He walks in you. Well, yeah, but Pastor Mike, if if that's the way that it works, how come we don't, don't seem to have the help we need or the strength we need or the healing that we need or whatever else it is? Because we're not relying on the helper. We're not relying on the one that lives on the inside of us. John said it this way just in a general way. He said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The greater power... A power greater than anything you're facing is already dwelling and walking in you. Why don't we access him like we should? Why don't we take advantage? And and please understand, folks, if these scriptures are true and God said them, so they have to be. Whether we understand them or not, whether we're living up to them or not, they have to be true. These scriptures tell us that God has given us such an advantage in life. That it would be almost a spiritual crime. I don't know if that's a good term. But I hope you understand what I mean when I use it. It would almost be a spiritual crime to live down on the lower level. The level where most of the church is. Now we know that you access everything that God has by faith. How many of us are putting our faith on the one that dwells on the inside of us? Oh, that we would. We'd rise to a new level. I think a lot of times we see people who have experienced the power of God or miracles or something like that. And we think that they've got something extra. Catherine Kuhlman was greatly used of God and and God did wonderful miracles and healings through her. And she would say often to people privately and ministers that she was acquainted with. She would say oftentimes. Before our service. I'm almost fearful that it won't work tonight. Because she was aware of the fact. That she had nothing to do with it. 
she was aware that she had to rely on the greater one. And there were times where she'd go out with thousands, tens of thousands of people in convention centers and opera houses and so forth. And everybody would be on edge and everybody wants to see what they've heard about, read about, been told about and so forth. And she'd have to, she'd tell people, I I can't start. He's not here yet. Well, certainly the Holy Ghost was there in a general sense, but he wasn't there in the anointing to do what she needed to to do and the people needed to have done. And so she'd tell people, "I, I, I can't do anything yet. People would wait and wait and wait. And then finally she'd say, okay, he's here now. And all of a sudden miracles would start to occur. She had to rely on the greater one even to do the miracles. I believe it works the same as in the same way for all of us. When we see the difference between ourselves and the greater one on the inside of us in the smaller areas perhaps of life, the things that are just as important for us. I think so often what happens to us is when we don't have direction from the greater one and we don't have the what we sense that we need from him, we just go ahead and try to push it through on our own. And we've all found out how well that works. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. Now, let me ask you another question about that. If God's plan from the beginning was to dwell in us and walk in us, which it was, that's the whole purpose for the plan of redemption from God's perspective. God took no pleasure in just sending Jesus to suffer a great death and suffer the penalty for sin and spiritual death. There was one goal that he had in mind, and that was you, to be able to live in you, to be able to dwell and walk in you. Now, if that was God's original plan, and it was, which means it's his present-day plan, and it is, don't you think that the Holy Ghost who was sent to help us would help us get there? Don't you think that the Holy Ghost would make a major goal of his to help us be aware of who's inside of us and what he's there for well why do so few people find out why is it that so few people ever walk in that walk in the light of it or the knowledge of it well the bible says that we cover spiritual things with natural things and if we don't lay away natural things, physical and the material things, we'll never reach the spiritual reality and revelation that he has for us. We might liken it to the example we talked about with our kids. We get so caught up in wanting God to do things for us that make us feel good. Things that make us successful in the short term. Rather than put spiritual things first rather than put spiritual development in the place that it should hold in our lives. I 
I wonder how many Christians are guilty of trying to develop wealth and riches instead of spiritual riches. Now, don't get me wrong. People could misinterpret what I'm saying and say, well, yeah, that's right. God wants you spiritually wealthy but not doesn't want you to have anything in life. That's just not true, folks. God wants you to have plenty, but he doesn't want it to have you. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. That sounds to me like not just the development of spiritual nature and spiritual characteristics of Jesus, but also doing the same works that he did. Doesn't it sound that way to you? As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be their God and they shall be my people. How do you treat your kids? Just like everybody else? Or are they special? I'll do more for my kids than I'll do for anybody. Won't you? I wonder if God's that way with his kids. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I can't get away from this verse of scripture. As God has said. Well if he said it he'll bring it to pass. If you said it, it's true. If you said it, it can't lie. It can't change. It can't be altered. I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation, a new species of being. Old things pass away and all things become new. The next verse says, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, says, and all things are of God. All things are of God. He's talking about the new nature. He's talking about being transformed by the new birth, by the presence of the Holy Ghost within us, And by the feeding of God's word, the feeding of our spirit on God's word. To develop into the very image of Jesus himself. Pretty lofty goal. But it's the one God set for us. I believe the first place the Holy Ghost is going to lead us once he starts dealing with us in some level of maturity when we're just spiritual babies, spiritual children then the thing that seems to be the most important for us is provision for God to get us out of the mess that we were in and of course he'll do that but once he starts dealing with us as we grow 
The first place the Holy Ghost is going to lead you into love. He's going to lead you into the characteristics that we read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Where we learn to yield our own will to his and yield ourselves to others. And the tough part of that is when others try to take advantage of us. I don't know about you, but I really hate that. But there's no guarantee that walking in love will keep that from happening. In fact, some of the people you're going to have to walk in love toward the most are the ones that will take advantage of you. But we have a responsibility. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Where's he going to lead us? One of the primary things he's going to lead us in is love. Because that's what's going to cause all men to know that we're his disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for dwelling in us. Thank you that you live in us by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Ghost. The life of God himself, itself, is the Holy Ghost. He's made us new. He's recreated our spirits. He inhabits us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit himself. I thank you, Father, therefore, that the life of God permeates every cell of our beings and every fiber of our bodies. I thank you that the healing power of God dwells in us. And can't help but to influence our bodies toward healing and health. I thank you that the helper lives on the inside of us. I thank you that he communicates with our spirits to make contact with our minds to reveal the will of God to us in every area of life. I thank you that the strengthener lives on the inside of us. That the strength that we need, no matter what we face, no matter what the circumstance, is available to us. I thank you that the counselor dwells in us. So we always know the will of God. We always know what steps to take. That's our confession, Father. That the greater one, the solution to every problem... The strength for every need. The answer for every dilemma dwells on the inside of us. Help us, Lord, as we make that confession daily. As we learn to rely on you. Your presence, your power, your strength, your help. We thank you, Father, that as we rely on that every day, your will is made plain and clear to us in even the minor areas of life. Father, we ask that you would help strengthen us and develop us and grow us in love. 
that we would be a picture of that which is described in 1 Corinthians 13. That we would not be touchy or fretful or resentful. That we would pay no attention to a suffered wrong and take no account of the evil done unto us. And that we would never fail because we are children of love. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us. We thank you for bearing witness with our spirits. We thank you as we give ear to that inner witness, that inward voice. You take us on into the things that God has planned for us. Not just that we may do the things that he has for us to do, but that we may be the people that are the very image and nature of Jesus himself. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and holy name, Father. Knowing that we're praying your will. Knowing that you hear us. If you can say amen to that. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. I didn't mean to make this so solemn. But I believe the Holy Ghost is talking to many of us now. Showing us changes to make. Adjustments. Showing us how we can walk in love. To a greater degree than before. Showing us the help he has for us. The answers to the problems we face. Lord we love you. We thank you so much Holy Spirit. We rely on you. Greater is he that's in us. Than he that's in the world. Let's say that together. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen. Oh, that that would dawn on us. The reality of that would become real to us. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. Have a great rest of the week.